It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait, can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Gobert picked it up and packed it with his right hand. Right down through the cylinder for two. Donovan working Herb Jones. Oh, Donovan Mitchell takes that and wind it back. Herb Jones has got his shoelaces tied together defending Donovan Mitchell. Who played a break on Herb Jones? Who put his shoelaces together and left him on the floor? Kicks up top. Ingram stolen by Donovan. Another steal for Donovan. Gives to Royce. Royce will go to the rim and he'll dunk it. Out to Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich penetrates. Jokic lets him go. Bogdanovich hammers with a left hand. High pick and roll for Conley. Lobs to Dokadunk. Fits for three. He got it! He got it! From half court! Look at Covey <laughs> weaving his way. Look out! Britton Covey accelerates! Can they run him down? No, they can't! Britton Covey, yet another house call as a returner! This one in the Rose Bowl, 97 yards. What a memory in his final game at Utah. Takes the handoff and just waltzes in over the left side. Tavian Thomas rushing touchdown number 21. And terrific blocking up front. Stroud pump fake. Looking for Fleming in the end zone. Under thrown and intercepted by Clark Phillips. The freshman makes his second humongous play here this afternoon. Stroud watching the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jacob. Are you kidding me? Oh, my. And the gritty, the gritty dance punctuates it. What a monster game. You can watch this sport forever. You won't see many better games by a wide receiver than this one. Mahomes throws it near side. Caught Kelsey. Touchdown. Kansas City burning tray flowers. And Kelsey couldn't get it in with his feet, but he catches it in his hands in the sweet nectar as Mahomes had time to throw. Herb Jones up top. Ingram steps into a straightaway three. Got it. Woo! It's about time, baby. Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great out there. A great intro once again as we come in on this Saturday morning. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Jay Catch. The Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. As I mentioned, my name is Jake, uh, joined by my, I guess, we calling you fearless co-host slash producer Eric Jensen. You've done it two weeks in a row, so I'm just why not? Call. I don't. Why not? Why, why not? not? How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about ahead on today's show. Beautiful weather up and down the Wasatch Front today. Not as cold as it has been. It's uh, what a week's difference makes. We were talking about the Rose Bowl last week and miserable cold weather out there, but this week 
Sunny, uh, had some weather come in overnight, but it is a banner day here along the Wasatch Front in Utah. And thank you once again for taking some time to join us here on the Saturday show. We got a lot to get to ahead on today's show, just as a heads up for you guys, kind of the roadmap of where we're going. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. Uh, they fall in Toronto last night, but I think there's a lot of caveats to put into that. We'll talk about that. We got week 18 of the NFL on tap. We've got PGA Tour golf back in our lives. College hoops. Uh, Ryan Smith joined DJ and PK yesterday, of course. He is the majority owner of the Utah Jazz and now a, has a minority stake in Real Salt Lake, joining David Blitzer in buying Real Salt Lake. So we'll let you hear that conversation here with DJ and PK. I thought it was absolutely brilliant yesterday. I want you guys to get a chance to hear that if you did not already. And we'll just have some fun along the way as well. So a lot to get to on today's show. Eric, I want to start off here, though. What was I'm, I'm going to start making this a kind of a normal thing on the podcast? What's been the highlight of your week so far? Ooh, the highlight of my well, I'll tell you easily the highlight of my week. Okay. If, if you're an Apple fan, uh-huh. if you're an Apple fan out there, and you know where Smith's Marketplace is, I don't know if it's still happening, but find a Smith's Marketplace with an electronics section. Well, not not a Smith's Food and Drug, but a marketplace. With, the bigger, with, with, yeah, with the bigger ones. I would recommend the one on. 3300 south next to vrei that used to be my spot by yep, the way. <laughs> that's it's it's a it's a great place airpods pros you on sale normally 250 180 oh all right there you go all right eric look at that i, I would say that was my final christmas present was right. that so yeah. I've, I've had the pros for about a year myself it's a good choice on your part I'm yeah just- put it that way so there yeah. you go highlight of the week all right yeah. airpod pros i like that all right so yeah if you guys have highlights of your week we'd love to highlight them here on the show so tweet at us i'm at jacob c hatch on twitter eric is at eric 18 utah i'd love hearing from you guys you also can sh- send it to the station twitter feed we will see those as well zone sports net uh, for the Zone Sports Network's Twitter feed. Love your guys' highlights of the week, comments, whatever you got ahead on today's show. Love having you guys along for the ride. And let's kick the show off, as we typically do, with What's the Big Deal? I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. And my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> smells of rich mahogany. That's yeah, a great intro. All right, so what's the big deal? Well, I just realized that we get to actually watch live football, Eric. We got, we got good news on our, our front. We got the FCS title game, Montana State versus North Dakota State. North Dakota State, as many of you probably know, uh, I believe now nine championships in the last ten seasons at the F- FCS subdivision level. I am rooting for Montana State. I will uh, be rooting for the Bobcats in today's game, but it should be a fun one. So we'll keep you updated on that throughout this uh, show. It just barely, literally just kicked off. So I hope you all are doing great. It's on ESPN, too, if you're looking for a place to watch it. But what's the big deal on today's show? Let's start off with the Utah Jazz. Uh, And let's start here. Eric, how are we supposed to refer to the Utah Jazz's lineup last night? I'm calling them the B-side Jazz, and that's probably an older reference for a young pup like you. Do you know what a B-side refers to? Yeah, it's like the backside of a record. Yeah, backside of a record or a tape or whatever. Yeah. Like it's kind of the 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 
alternate side. Like it's not the, as well known. And I'm calling the B side. I had people say they call them the JV squad. I had one guy pop into my men- on my timelines last night uh, with in my mention saying, let's just call them the Utah Jazz Wardball team. Uh, you know what? Call them what you will. Last night's performance for the Utah Jazz surpassed my expectations. Let me be very clear about that. They go out and put up a 40-point first quarter, and we're just playing free and loose, and they actually, I thought, surpassed all of my expectations for them. Uh, The biggest thing about the Utah Jazz in this game is the better team ended up winning. The Jazz were playing with a shorthanded squad, nine players technically on the roster available for this game. Eight of them played. We saw the uh, most recent signings, Danwell House, uh, play actually a pretty significant role for the Utah Jazz in this game. But I just felt like, considering what I expected from this game, uh, I came away impressed by these young bucks from the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I would say last night was, I know they lost, but to me it's just a huge win for, for, for the Jazz. They played really hard. They were competitive throughout, and you see two guys in particular, Elijah Hughes and Eric Pascal. That's who I was going to go to, yeah. Who both drop nearly, as I look for the point total, nearly 30 points, yeah, and 26, 26 and 29. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on now. If those guys can do this at a starting level, they need to, one, be seeing way more time in the rotation than they're currently seeing. And I think that helps because there are some guys within the Jazz lineup, like, say, a Royce O'Neal, who aren't getting that many points every night at their at their positions at, at, at the four, which Eric Pascal can play. And I, I just really think that the more depth the Jazz can develop, the more that's going to help them. And again, I'll come back to my original point, as it pertains to all Jazz matters in the playoffs, this is what's going to count, is having great uh, Jazz players. And you saw some stuff from their youth, too. I mean, Udoka Azabuke looked good he he put up one of his better performances that he's had playing at the NBA level after a solid night in Denver as well and then you have guys who are learning Jared Jared Butler puts up 17 points but he's still learning how to shoot over NBA length and he's still getting his feet kind of under him and he could probably benefit from some more time in the G League I think but He's on the right track, and you got to see tangible progress in this game. I thought this was a really positive development for looking at the Jazz's youth development and seeing how that's coming along, and it's it's going pretty well. Yeah, I, I think the thing with this is last night these guys were playing with essentially house money. I, I, I don't expect one big performance from Elijah Hughes or a huge performance from Eric Pascal to mean that they're going to supplant somebody that's in the regular rotation. The Jazz played with, in theory, with, without, excuse me, their top eight players. Uh, the Really, the only rotation guy who played in this game was Hassan Whiteside. He finishes with seven points and seven rebounds, uh, five personal fouls for him in this game. Eric Pascal, I thought, had a really nice performance because what I saw from Pascal last night, and I know that uh, Ron Boone talked about this on Postcast on Locked On Jazz with David Locke last night, is Eric Pascal showed us something that we did not know, or I, at least I didn't know about his game. He's always been a power guy, a guy that you go to the rack and can jam on people. He did that. But... He was breaking guys down off the dribble and making shots. Uh, He was 2 of 7 from 3, so not a great shooting percentage from beyond the arc, but 10 of 21 from the field. 
I thought he performed better than I anticipated. Elijah Hughes, this dude can shoot. 7 of 12 from the three-point line, uh, one off of the franchise record for threes made in a game. I thought he also had a nice performance. And I looked at the end of the night, and he had eight rebounds. That was actually very impressive from him to have eight rebounds. It was a collective effort from the Jazz with their eight-guy rotation to just get in there and rebound as a team. I felt like the Jazz made the first half about as good as you could possibly make it. And the one thing I also uh, want to pass along is I felt like the, this Jazz squad, because let's be honest, Toronto's probably looking at the Jazz coming into that game last night thinking, okay, they're bringing nobody here. Let's just go out, run them in the first half, and we'll have an easy, we'll have an easy second half. We can just kind of, we can just sail from there. Well, the Jazz made it tough on them. Jazz held the lead until midway through the third quarter, and they forced Toronto, Fred Van Vliet, and company to go out and beat them. That, I think, is the biggest mark of what this Jazz squad did. Is This was a Jazz team, that, uh, the B-side. When you have Eric Paschal, Elijah Hughes, Hassan Whiteside, Trent Forrest, and Jared Butler as your starting five, the, like I said, the only regular rotation player in that starting five was Hassan Whiteside. Their bench players, Malik Fitz, who's on a two-way deal. Denwell House made his Jazz debut on a 10-day contract, and Aduka Azubuki, who we have been hoping to, that would actually start to develop a little bit. As you mentioned, I think he's shown some things in these past two games, and he's taken on a bigger role with both Rudy Gobert and also against Denver with Hassan Whiteside out. This was the Jazz team that just needed to go out and not fall all over themselves. And I thought in the first half, they absolutely did it. The second half, they had their issues. Uh, Trent Forrest and Jared Butler, they combined for 15 turnovers in this game. Forrest with seven, Butler with eight. In the first half, the Jazz had seven turnovers as a team. That's actually not a bad number considering the youth and inexperience with this squad. The second half, the wheels kind of came off. 14 turnovers. Uh, Jared Butler turning it over off the dribble. Trent Forrest did not have his finest performance. Uh, had seven uh, turnovers as compared to eight assists. That's not a great percentage. So, there are things that were good about this performance, but there's things that are also expected. Now, they get ready now for a quick turnaround as they're going to be in Indiana tonight. Uh, according to what I saw last night, all the players who crossed the border into Canada to play in Toronto last night, their PCR test came back negative, so they'll be able to get back across the border, back into the United States to get to Indiana. That was actually a big concern, is if you go to Canada, you cross international borders here, you test positive, you're stuck in Toronto for two weeks. Right. So they had to be very careful about how they did this because the Jazz right now are dealing with a COVID outbreak. I don't know, outbreak's probably too strong of a term, but Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert are currently in health and safety protocols. As we've seen from the NBA over the past few weeks, it seems to come uh, and hit different guys at different times. So this could be a multi-week stretch here where the Jazz have guys in and out of the lineup due to COVID health and safety protocols. The hope is that they don't, but... I think just based on the evidence that we've seen from it, they're going to have to just navigate things. I like what you said a little bit earlier, Eric, though, that the, these young guys, they went out and showed us something. That's the biggest thing. I, I was terrified last night when I heard about the lineup. I'm like, oh, geez, these guys are going to get it run by 30, and it's not even going to be competitive from the get-go. They came out and put up a 40-point first quarter. Uh, I think it was 62 at halftime, and I just sat there. I'm like, sweet. These guys can play, and they know the system. They know what's going on. That's the thing, I, the mark of a good franchise, is that these guys who barely get playing time, they're, they're, they're role players for the Utah Jazz as currently constituted when their top guys are available. They came in and ran what the Jazz run. This was not a new 
completely new uh, lineup for the Jazz to go out in this game. They just took care of business. And that's the mark, I think, of what Quinn Snyder has endeavored to build here with the Utah Jazz. And I, for one, I, I came away impressed. Now, uh, one other note on this is that the Jazz now, as I mentioned, go to Indiana tonight. What will that squad look like? We don't know. I, have you seen a new injury report this morning? I have not seen one, Eric. So Not yet, no. So uh, we're going to find out. Hopefully we'll have an update for you guys throughout today's show or at some point during today's show about the injury report. But the top eight guys of the Jazz rotation were out last night due to a mixture of injuries and also health and safety protocols. The hope is you get at least a few of those guys back for this game against Indiana. I'd guess like a guy like Mike Conley, who we know has been uh, sitting out front or back halves of uh, back-to-back games, I would expect a guy like him is available. He actually may have just gone straight to Indiana. He probably didn't even cross the border. He's probably waiting there in Indianapolis for the Jazz to arrive last night. And I would expect a guy like him is potentially going to play tonight. I would think a guy like Royce O'Neal, uh, patellar tendinitis, probably takes a night off and is available. Jordan Clarkson, low back tightness. You hope that loosens up and he's able to play, but we'll find out. All right, let's transition now and talk a little NFL football. All right, it is week 18 in the NFL this week, and it feels a little weird. And Eric, I know that you're an NFL guy. It's kind of been your background. How weird does it feel that we typically have NFL playoff games this weekend, but instead we've got week 18 action? Well, it's the longest season ever. Yeah, Yeah. 17-game seasons. As they've uh, advertised to the point of no return. But uh, I, I... think you're going to have years where it turns into an issue because how many teams are going to be playing starters on Sunday is a real question I have because in the AFC you're probably safe because the one seed's not locked up yet and of course with the new playoff formatting the one seed is the most important thing you can get during the the regular season but in the NFC the Packers already have it. I wouldn't expect they play Aaron Rodgers unless Aaron Rodgers is just begging to play. <laughs> I mean, you look at the rest of the the lineup, too. At that point, it's just about matchups. There are almost all teams in the NFC are locked up. The Buccaneers have made it. The Cardinals have made it. The Rams have made it. That's kind of, you, you've got five teams that have clinched, and then you have those fascinating scenarios between the 49ers and the Rams, but who knows if the Rams are even going to play their starters, given that, you know, they've, they have it. Now, it's just, it's tough. I, I really think it's it's tough to predict who's going to play tomorrow and who isn't because divisions yeah. are still on the line for t- some teams some teams that's not the case and you've got covid running all over the place it's just going to be a really weird and interesting week but i'm not sure we're going to learn a lot from it so we do have two games today we have kansas city at denver and then we have dallas at philadelphia uh, espn abc espn plus if you want to watch those games uh Neither one of those have a ton of intrigue in them because, as you mentioned, most of the playoff uh, field has been set. Most of the teams are in. Really, the only uh, question marks we have, and Eric, I know you know this probably better than I do, the only question marks that we have 
currently for the playoffs is the 49ers, if they win, they're in. And there needs to be some machinations that take place uh, for New Orleans to supplant San Francisco into the NFC playoffs. On the AFC side of things, it comes down to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, tomorrow night, Sunday night football, Los Angeles Chargers at the Las Vegas Raiders, which our good friend Lloyd Cole is actually going to this game. Uh, Winner is in, loser goes home. Is that right? Unless. Oh, I forgot about this part. This is weird. Oh, let's not. Do we need to delve into this? This is so weird. Okay, go ahead. But if the Jaguars beat the Colts, Uh if the Chargers and Raiders tie, they (laughs) beat. Both get into the playoffs. So yeah. that would be a really interesting scenario if, if that ended up happening. Now, the Jaguars aren't very good. I don't think they're No, they're not be. not good. Not only good, they're downright awful. Yeah. Their fans are going to wear clown costumes tomorrow to protest against Shad Khan. I saw that. Very funny. Um, owner, yeah. No, I, you know, I think that... That game between the Raiders and the Chargers is going to be an interesting case study in who can be more consistent. The Chargers have had consistent quarterback play the whole year. Justin Herbert has operated like a top 10 quarterback for the whole year. He hasn't battled with the ups and downs some other top 10 quarterbacks have had this year. I found that pretty interesting yesterday. I was talking on... A podcast about it and I you know I I kind of got to thinking Jake like unless your name is Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes there is a huge like variance in quarterback play right now in within the top 10 you look at guys like Joe Burrow some weeks it's good some weeks it's not so good you look at guys like Kyler Murray Dak Prescott Matthew Stafford all these Derek Carr, who I would argue is a top 10 passer this year. And it's all about consistency of a quarterback position. But that, that's that's another point. I just want to see who shows up in this game. I think the Raiders have a legitimate shot to win because the Chargers as a team have been wildly inconsistent. They've had great quarterback play, but at points their defense hasn't shown up. And at other points their running game has completely disappeared which is a little bit weird considering they have a great pass protecting line they for some reason have had spurts where Austin Eckler cannot get the ball moving on the ground this year so it'll be interesting to see what happens between these two teams but I do think the Raiders have a very good shot of pulling up what what does Vegas have this at would the Raiders be an upset I feel like I think spread-wise, probably. Yeah, I feel like the Raiders would be an upset spread-wise, but I think the Raiders win this game, to be honest with you. Well, they're at home. They're going to obviously have their fans behind them, and that that's the interesting part about this, is you win and you're in. And Okay, so I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, line is actually, yeah, so it would be an upset. Uh, so the line is minus three for the Chargers, based on what I'm seeing here. So uh, Chargers are favored to go to Las Vegas and win this game. I I hope the Raiders win. I, I'm a little bit of a homer in a way because the Va- the Las Vegas Raiders kind of become our team here in this market because they're now the closest team to Utah. We are obviously we broadcast all of the Raider games here on the Zone Sports Network. 
But considering the turmoil that Las Vegas has gone through this year, John Gruden getting fired, Henry Ruggs III and his awful situation, everything that the Raiders have gone through, for them to win and get in here would be absolutely stunning. And to do it at the Chargers' expense, you know old-school Raiders fans are just giddy at that thought. This is a big game for the Chargers because this is a moment where you say, okay, the franchise really has changed the corner, or you say, oh, it's the same old Chargers. Sure, yeah. Chargers getting a Charger. And if the Chargers get a win here and get in, that's such a positive for them. But if they lose, it's almost – it's just – it's a travesty, and you you look at the team and you say, well, you've wasted a year of Justin Herbert, and even though you thought you had this right coach and you thought you had everything fixed, mm-hmm. there's still something jinxy or weird around this franchise that just won't allow for success, whereas the Raiders are kind of playing with house money. Like three weeks ago, nobody thought the Raiders would be in this situation, and then they won three straight, and Uh and they're here. The Raiders are playing with house money. They're playing fast and loose, and I I think that that's the reason I I think they're going to win this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And uh, if the Raiders win, they make the playoffs, that'll be a very interesting conversation about what they're going to do coaching-wise. There have been rumors out there about Jim Harbaugh kind of figuring things out at Michigan and then deciding, I got you guys to where you wanted me to go, and now I'm jumping back to the NFL. And, well, where did he start his coaching career in the NFL? With the Raiders. So it would be interesting to see if Jim Harbaugh would entertain that. But Rich Bisaccia, their head coach, their interim head coach, to keep this team together and have them on the doorstep of making the playoffs. What a phenomenal story that would be. All right. Uh, we will have more in a moment uh, coming up on today's show. As we mentioned, you'll be able to hear the conversation that Ryan Smith, owner of the Utah Jazz and now a new minority owner of Real Salt Lake, he joined at DJ and PK yesterday. I thought it was an absolutely incredible conversation uh, involving both of these franchises. I'll let you hear that. A lot more coming up. We'll also get to five minutes of talk about some soccer and hockey and what we like to call soccer. So a whole lot more. Stay with us. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports network you're stuck at the mall in the yard or making a quick trip to the home improvement store we've got your back it's gonna be may this is the saturday show on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network slow the Joe Ingles Show with DJ and... Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network, brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, uh, let's run around the world of sports here. I think there's a number of different topics that I wanted to touch on. Uh, we talked about the jazz a lot in that first segment, also some NFL thoughts, but Eric, we didn't get our chance to really give our take on the Rose Bowl because we previewed it last week on the show, and I was sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, we didn't really get a chance to really talk about what we took away from that game. Let me just start off at the top. That was a highly, highly entertaining game, uh, just from an entertainment aspect. I get if you're a University of Utah fan, it's 
it hurts to come up short in that game. But from the sheer entertainment perspective, that game was worth every dime I think you spent to get down to Pasadena to watch that game. Weather was good. Crowd was electric. Uh, I wish I would have been there in person to be able to watch it myself because it just seemed like a, a perfect day to be out there supporting the Utes. And weather here along the Wasatch Front was not great, uh, to be honest. But I think the biggest thing I took away from it, and Eric, you can add your, your thought on this, is that the entertainment perspective alone made that game worth everything, I felt like, from both teams, a 48-45 to shootout that featured pretty much everything we could have hoped for. Yeah, very simply put, when, when people keep bringing it up to me this week, it was the best football game I've ever watched. Maybe. I've got one that you need to watch if you need to watch a more entertaining one. It also uh, involves the Rose Bowl. Okay, I'll. Ju- I know what what you're referencing. Texas USC. Everybody. Yes. Everybody. That says, is the best college football game in college football history, right. in my opinion. This though might be in the top ten. It, it, it's up there. You yeah. know, it, it it was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. As a Utah fan, obviously a little disappointed as that they lost, but. Really, I wasn't that disappointed at all. I thought this was a huge proving ground for the program to say, hey, look, we can take on any team in the country and go toe-to-toe with them. They lost by three points. That's it. That's it. That's, that's how much they lost by. They didn't lose by a touchdown. They didn't lose by 10. They didn't get blown out. They lost by three points, and they lost – partially because play calling got a little bit sheepish in the second half, and they lost their starting quarterback. I was going to say, the the quarterback situation. Yeah. But, okay. With Bryson Barnes, though, they should (laughs) have let him throw more on that first series because, I mean, he went down the field, and when they asked him to throw, he made big-time throws. That touchdown throw was impressive. Yeah. And they should have, you know, they should have had more faith in him. The 1A really. football legend Bryson Barnes. If you want a really cool conversation, yeah, DJ and PK this week. With, with the football coach. Thane Marshall, who's the head coach of Milford High School, where Bryson Barnes was a, was a star. He was a four-year starter for the Tigers, uh, competing at the 1 and 2A level. There was a time during his high school career for Bryson that actually got away. They got rid of 1A football for a couple of years. It's back now. Uh, but we had Thane Marshall, his head coach from Milford, on with DJ and PK. You can go search out DJ and PK in the morning on whichever podcast provider you happen to be uh, using, and you can listen to that conversation because uh, Coach Marshall, Eric, had your exact same thought. Let that young man really throw. He felt like the moment wasn't too big for him. I feel like the moment wasn't too big for him. He came in, and that touchdown pass was inch perfect. He had an open guy. He hit him right at the back part of the end zone. A great throw. And to think a kid who was a walk-on from a 1A high school here in the state of Utah can throw a touchdown pass in the Rose Bowl just gives me all of the chills. It's just a, it's a story that you cannot make up. So I think overall, the football season here locally, good football season. Disappointing bowl losses for both BYU and Utah, no doubt. Uh, impressive football win for Utah State. And by the way, did you see the tweet last night from Utah State about Oregon State blowing oh, up yeah. their stadium? It was only a bowl game, guys. That was awesome. So credit to the social media team up there at Utah State for that one because that was that was just mwah. that was that was a great tweet. But 
Anyways, I think college football-wise, it was fun. Other notes, uh, college hoops. We're finally seeing them get back on the court. We saw BYU and Pacific square off on Thursday night. Uh, Eric, how much college hoops have you watched this year? I, know, I, I think you're like most people. You probably haven't watched much. You know, I watch BYU Utah. and Utah pretty uh-huh. regularly and some of the bigger Big 12 and Big 10 games. Sure. Um, so you watch more than most people then. I, I, I like college basketball. I usually, you know, now, do I know enough about it to talk about it super confidently all the time? No, but it's a great background sport, I think. I put it on, and, you know, obviously the NBA has a higher quality of game. Absolutely. But, I, you know, I like the atmosphere. I like, you know, I've got Wichita St- State and Houston on up here in the in the booth, and, uh-huh. and you know, I enjoy that. I've been interested in BYU getting back on the court um, because the West Coast Conference is up right now. They're having sure. their best decade. Yeah, um, They might have four tournament teams, and that's, that's pretty crazy to watch. So that league has been insanely fun to follow. Um, I'm excited for Utah State to get back, though. They, they have had... More than two weeks off now, right? Yeah, about two weeks off because of uh, COVID concerns, not in their program, but within Boise that, that shut down that game. And San they Jose take State on, before that. Yep, yeah. and they take on uh, New Mexico tonight, and that becomes a must-win game. Every game for them becomes a must-win game after dropping that game to Air Force, and I'm interested to see if, if Utah State can go on a little bit of a run here and try to build their resume up a little bit before they get to the all-important conference tournament at the end of February, Bear. All right, a couple of notes from Thursday night. BYU and Utah were the only local teams in action. Uh, Portland State and SUU had been put on uh, postponement due to Portland State having some issues with COVID in their own right. Uh, Both of these games, speaking of the Cougars and the Utes on Thursday night, were tracking similarly. And let me explain what I I mean by that. I I was tracking both of them. I was watching them on dual screens. BYU tipped off a half an hour earlier. So I really saw this play out in two uh, alternate fashions. So BYU and Pacific, the Tigers are not a good team, but they're a physical team. They, they play a grinding style of basketball. Damon Stoudemire had been their head coach, really implemented the style. Leonard Williams has taken over since Damon Stoudemire uh, went to the NBA to join Ime Udoka's staff with the Boston Celtics. But Pacific still playing very much that grinder style. And BYU found themselves in a little bit of a rock fight in this game. With about 10 minutes to go, Pacific got themselves within six points, and it felt like, okay, this game is going to tip one way or the other. Either Pacific is going to continue this trend of making BYU work for everything they've got, or the Cougars are going to find an answer, and all of a sudden they're going to blow this game wide open. Well, the Cougars blew it wide open. They started making timely threes. Uh, Guys like Seneca Knight, Trevin Nell, all coming up with big shots. Alex Barcelo being his typical self uh, being the leader for BYU and then Fusini Traore have a having a nice night himself BYU goes on to win 73 to 51 they, they turned it on pulled away in the final 10 minutes of this game and made it a laugher now Utah in the second half of their game against Washington held a 14 point lead with about 10 minutes to go it became a six point game 
Washington started heating up, and Utah could not fend them off. Washington goes on a run down the stretch, and Utah cannot find the answer, and they fall 74-68 to the Washington Huskies. That is the Huskies' first Pac-12 win. This is a program that has been having all kinds of COVID issues, so they're now 1-1 in the Pac-12. And the Utes, the running Utes, are now 1-4 in Pac-12 play, 8-7 on the season, and in dead last in the Pac-12. That's a disappointment. Sucks. I mean, part of the goal this year, I think, to start the Craig Smith era was Pac-12's going to be okay. They're going to be a middling league like they usually are. Uh-huh. You got to beat the bad teams. And, and so far, they, they have not beaten the bad teams. They, they went have, to Oregon State, who was 2 intending. They have beat. gotten embarrassed by the bad teams. And they hold. it seems like it's the same story. They hold leads for portions of the first half. They play scrappy, but they just don't have enough. I don't know if it's talent. I don't know if it's, you know, stamina, but they just can't finish. And uh, it's, you know, it's another disappointing year for Utah basketball. But, you know, takes time. Takes time. That, that roster has not been in great shape. Health-wise, yeah. And... You know, Craig Smith can be aggressive in the transfer portal this offseason. If he does that, I think that they can get back on the right track very quickly. But right now, it's about surviving. And it's not like they're totally dead, but they have got to start stringing some wins together to, you know do something a little bit more impressive than what's happened thus far. Yeah, it's year one of Craig Smith's run at Utah. So I will say, though, Brain Carlson. Brandon, Ama- Carl- Brandon Carlson. Brandon Carlson. Yeah. Amazing player. He's a good player, yeah. Um, probably has some NBA second-round type vibes to We'll, him, we'll so, see. Yeah. The, the thing about Utah right now is Craig Smith, he's trying to get this roster right. And he said in the postgame on Thursday night that he needs to settle on a lineup. The, the issue is, you already brought this up, Eric, is the fact that they have not had health on their side. It's, it's been a big concern for them. So we'll find out. Uh, the schedule today, uh, you have Dixie State and Utah Valley squaring off in the battle for the Old Hammer. Yes, they're rivals. They're playing in whack play now. That'll start at 2 o'clock. Utah welcomes in welcomes in Washington State, who is 1-2 in Pac-12 play at 4 o'clock up at the Huntsman Center. That'll be on the Pac-12 network. Uh, NAU and Southern Utah score off at 5 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. As we already brought up, Utah State finally returning to action down in the pit in Albuquerque, taking on New Mexico. That uh, game scheduled to tip off at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. That'll be a 5.30 pregame here on the Zone Sports Network on 1280 AM, opposite of the Utah Jazz. Scott Gerard will be on the call there. And then uh, rounding out the night, St. Mary's and BYU squaring off. Two of the big dogs in the West Coast Conference. Down there at the Marriott Center, 8 o'clock Mountain Time tonight on ESPN2. St. Mary's 12-3, BYU 13-3 in that game. Uh, There was some concern earlier in the week that St. Mary's uh, having had three of their games in West Coast Conference play canceled so far, or not canceled, postponed due to COVID issues within the Gales program, would not be able to play in this game, but they got the clearance uh, Thursday that they will be playing. So some uh, full night of college hoops here locally. We'll have more on that, obviously, throughout the upcoming week. Uh, one other note before we take a break here, Eric, is Monday night we have a national championship game. Are you excited for an all-SEC final once again? Hmm. Am I bothered that it's the SEC? 
In this scenario, no, the more I thought about it, because it's just clear to me that these are the two best teams in the country. They deserve to be here. I mean, sure. everybody, by and large, who deserved to get into the college football playoff got in. Michigan couldn't hang with Georgia. Cincinnati couldn't hang with Alabama. If you can't hang with the best teams in the land, then you don't deserve to be in the title game. And if Alabama blows Georgia out in the title game and everyone says, well, why was Georgia in? Well, it's probably because Alabama's just that much better than Georgia. And what we saw against Texas A&M was a total fluke. And Alabama just dropped the game Mm -hmm. and ended up being the best team in the country with the best quarterback in the country. So I'm not too bothered by it. I'm not bothered by the fact that this is, I think, going to be a classic game because, as you mentioned, I think they are clearly the two best teams in the sport this year. Uh, the thing is, it's just it's going to lend itself to a lot of people tuning out because of the fact that it's the SEC once again dominating this. That That is my concern, is that it's not going to get the, the eyeballs on it that it typically should well, and probably wants to have. Well, maybe not locally, but... You don't think every person in the southern United um, States is SEC countries watch SEC countries tuning isn't, in, and isn't that a majority of college football fans in in the country? There's college football fans all around this country. That I think there are people in the Northeast, the Midwest, the West Coast out here. I think people in the Midwest and the East Coast are still going to tune into that game. We'll see. I I think that I I just think that there is a bad narrative brewing. Even though, as I said, I think this is going to be a good game. These are two elite teams. Uh, I think there is just there are regions of this country who are like, great, two SEC teams, eh, click, I'm I'm out. I honestly th- think that's going to happen all around this country outside of the SEC. That that that's my personal opinion on it. But I'm actually looking forward to this game. I have a similar thought to you that elite quarterback play is going to prevail in this, and Alabama is going to go back to back as national champions. I just think that Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, he is head and shoulders a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett has been good for Georgia, but you need elite quarterback play if you want to win it all, and I just don't think that's the one thing that Georgia does not have is elite quarterback play. So we'll find out. That's uh, Monday night on ESPN if you want to tune into that. Uh, Currently in the FCS championship game down in Frisco, Texas, uh, well, North Dakota State doing what they typically do. They are up 14-0 on Montana State. The Bison are just a juggernaut. They are unlike many other dynasties in college football history. You may not uh, pay attention much to them because they play at the FCS level, but they are an elite program. They're very, very good in Montana State having their issues early on in this one. So it's uh, 14 nothing uh, in the second quarter of that game down there in Frisco. If you want to watch it, it's on ESPN2. All right, more in a moment. We'll get to technical fouls. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll let you hear from uh, Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, as well as minority owner of the Real Salt Lake. Join DJ and PK yesterday. We'll let you hear that conversation as well. More to come. This is the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. From the street with dirty shoes on your feet That's a technical foul If you switch the radio to some modern music show That's a 
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. As you just heard, it's time for technical fouls, one of the staples of this fine program where we talk about people doing dumb things in the world of sports, and sometimes it goes beyond the, the world of sports. But, Eric, I'm going to let you fire off this week, so fire away, my friend. All right, well, I'm going to go with the obvious one because I'm not very good at these yet. Okay. Uh, Antonio Brown. Well, uh Okay, there's an adage out there is to uh, what's the adage? It's uh, it's better to stay silent than open your mouth and re- remove all doubt. Is that is that the correct phraseology there? Sure, that sounds right. Like to make yourself sound like a fool, and yeah. he keeps talking and comes off more and more like a fool. Yeah. Now this is supposed to be a funny segment and all, but I am legitimately worried about Antonio Brown. He doesn't seem to be quite all there, you know, in in, in the Cabeza region. But I would just say that you listen to Tom Brady's comments and that should inform how you feel about the situation because he was very concerned and said, we just hope everything ends up being okay. He encouraged empathy. And... I think that that's just a good approach to take in all life. Let's have empathy for people who, you know, need it. And I think Antonio Brown needs a lot of sympathy and, and, you know, help right now. Now, it doesn't help that he's burning every bridge in the book. He then went on to trash talk Tom Brady. But, you know, I, I hope Antonio Brown gets wherever he's going. And, uh, but... I have a feeling this is the end of his NFL career. I would tend to agree with you. Talent does seem to win out in the NFL by and large, but he is 33 years old. He's not what he once was. He's still good, but he's not what he once was. What he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers was the best ever. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you. I think this might be the end for him, but hope, as you said, hopefully they can figure things out. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about a Republican state lawmaker from Tennessee. Okay. I don't know if you saw this story this week, but a Republican state lawmaker is doing damage control after, quote, acting the fool, unquote, and losing his temper at a referee during a high school basketball game in Tennessee on January 4th. Republican Jeremy Faison, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was kicked out of a game between Lakeway Christian Academy and Providence Academy in Johnson City after he yelled at a referee and then, this is where it gets good, attempted to pull down the ref's pants which was caught on video. Who amongst us hasn't gone to a high school basketball game and tried to pants a ref, though? Uh, Not I. (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, Faison, in a statement released uh, uh, this past week, I believe, uh, this incident occurred in the third quarter of the game after the players got physical over a loose ball, and Faison ended up interjecting himself as referees tried to separate the teams. Faison was told to leave the gym before he's lost his uh, his temper with referee Paul Pendleton and tugged at Pendleton's pants in an attempt to yank them down and off. That's the quote. Down and off. He wanted to pull the guy's pants off. 
His uh, statement uh, released on social media said this. For years, I thought how wrong it is when a parent loses their temper at a sporting event. It's not Christian and it's not mature and it's embarrassing to the child to have have always been my thoughts. Unfortunately, I acted the fool tonight and lost my temper on a ref. I was wanting him to fight me, totally lost my junk and got booted from the gym. I've never really lost my temper, but I did tonight, and it was completely stupid of me. Emotions getting in the way of rational thoughts are never good. I hope to be able to find that ref and ask for his forgiveness. I was bad wrong. Okay. Bad wrong. We need to work on your syntax and (laughs) statements. Because this guy, if I read it correctly, I believe he's also the state uh, house GOP chair. Let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to find this. You know, I just think that sometimes people lose their temper at, at these games and you say some unruly things sure. to, to officials. It just, you gotta sometimes have some awareness, especially if you're a public figure, to not do that because you're expected to be the person that's not the crazy parent at the mm-hmm. high school game who wants to fight for ref in the parking lot. Unfortunately, we hold public servants to a higher standard than we do as they should be held to a higher standard right (laughs) then you know average everyday joe who just wants to see his kid post a triple double (laughs) so i mean it yeah this is a story man too bad this guy got in the in the crosshairs hopefully hopefully he can rebound you know that, I, I hope that's the theme of today. I'm yeah. about redemption. Sure, let's, yeah. Let's let's give this guy a little bit of redemption today. But let's not try and pants a referee. Yeah, right? that's and, weird too. Like, I mean, what? Okay, what? I don't need to break here. What rational thought in the midst? Uh, in, I know it's not rational what he was doing to begin with, interjecting himself as referees are trying to clear the fracas and get guys separated and everything. But to put yourself in the middle of that, dumb number one. But. Yeah. In the middle of that, as you're arguing back and forth with this referee, who in their right mind, and maybe he's not in his right mind, thinks, I'm going to pants this dude? Yeah, that's not really the first, <laughs> like, like... Are we in elementary that's school? That's not really, like, the first act of violence. Maybe, like, a swift punch to the chest or a slap across the face. May, but, but pantsing someone, that just seems... Yeah, you're right. So juvenile, so elementary. I mean, you go go for something a little bit, you know, kick the guy in, in his nether region. You know, there, there are just other things to I do. I wanted him to fight me. He, that's his exact quote. I wanted him to fight me. What what makes you think if you pants a dude, he's going to fight me? I No, the dude's going to look at you being very embarrassed yeah. and, and being like, what, what, wait, what, what are you what doing? What did you just yeah. do to me? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. All right, um, one thing before we go here. Uh, Clinto Pete uh, Clinto Pete says, Technical foul on both of you for saying the Rose Bowl was the best football game ever. Clint? Technically, I, ne- I said that. Eric said that. Hand Don't up. Do not do not put me in that conversation. Clint, you mentioned that I've watched the Miracle Bowl, 1980 BYU, coming back from 25 points down inside three minutes to beat SMU. I was not alive for that game. My father was in the stands that night at old Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. Watch that game live. My dad and my grandfather, Clint, are with you. That is the greatest single football game and comeback they have ever seen in their life. They will swear to it. They are still alive, and I could get them on air, and they would say that exact thing. He also says the 93 Bills 32-point comeback over the Oilers. That is actually a really good one, too. Frank Reich, now the head coach of the Colts, led that comeback. I hate being young. 
Because all people do is say, oh, well, you didn't see I know, this. I know. Why don't you just let me qualify Eric, it by Eric. saying everything I say is within my lifetime. <laughs> Eric, I don't care but about But you were alive for that, for that Rose Bowl between Texas and USC. And that, that game, to me, is the greatest college football game I have ever seen in my life. When was that? It was in 2005. Okay. I probably, you know, I didn't start Vince watching Young sports until Vince Young single-handedly lifted Texas to a national championship over one of the best single football teams in college football history in USC. It was a spectacular game. So, Clint, I did not say this this past Rose Bowl. That's all on Eric, so Clint, let's be clear. I do not apologize. I'll never apologize. You should apologize because it's not the greatest football game ever. I, all right. Anyways. <laughs> All right, that's enough. All right, coming up next, <laughs> Ryan Smith, owner of the Utah Jazz and now minority owner of Real Salt Lake, joined DJ and PK yesterday. Uh, we will let you hear that conversation next, right here on the Saturday Show, brought to you, by the way, by our friends over at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, uh, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. More in a moment. This is the Saturday Show, right here on The Zone.